0: Welcome to the ACOFP Student Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians.
1: Welcome to the ACOFP DO.FM Student Edition Podcast. This is Joe Lee, your National Student Executive Board President. Today, we're bringing you a two-part podcast based on a recorded session from the 2021 annual convention called Oh, the Places You'll Go where I had the opportunity to talk with three members of the ACOFP Resident Council about applying to residency in this virtual environment. Enjoy part one and be on the lookout for part two coming soon. Hi everyone, Uh, my name is Joe Lee. I'm a volunteer from the ACOFP National Student Executive Board. I'm excited to participate in this session with you. Uh, Tonight's session is a talk titled All the Places You'll Go. Uh, so we'll be talking about the process, covering of information, and frequently asked questions about applying to family medicine programs, especially in today's virtual age. Um, so here's the agenda for tonight. So the first thing is, uh, first couple of things that we'll talk about is basically choosing a residency um, and uh, all those different acronyms that we hear of and and think of. Um, So we're going to just sort of help decipher those a little bit. Uh, We'll talk about uh, virtual interviewing and um, everything that that goes along with it, uh, talking about ranking programs, um, and then cover a little bit about uh, what happens after you match. Um, And then in light of COVID, uh, we'll cover a little bit about work-life balance as well. So I have the pleasure to introduce you to three resident physicians who are members of the ACOFP Resident Council. So the first person is Dr. Ian Singer. He's a PGY2 uh, resident. He he attended Nova Southeastern University, Dr. Kieran Patel College of Osteopathic uh, Medicine. He's currently in uh, Brownward Health at Fort Lauderdale, and he's also serving as the chair of the ACOFP Resident Council. So next person is Dr. Athena Hajianidis. She's a PGY-1 resident. Uh, uh, She attended Oklahoma State University College of Osteopathic Medicine in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Her her current residency program is OSU OSU, Cherokee Nation Family Medicine Residency in in Taliqua, uh, Oklahoma. Uh, She's currently serving as the vice chair of the ACFP Resident Council. The next person, our last person, uh, definitely not the least, is Dr. Jordan Wong. Uh, he is PGY-1 resident. Uh, he attended University of Pikesville, Kentucky College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, his current residency program is Sampson Regional Medical Center at Campbell University. Uh, he's, he's serving as one of the members of the ACFP Resident Council. So with, with do, I'll, I'll just th- dive right into the questions. We prepared a couple of questions um, that uh, we have for our, our resident panel, so I'm going to start off with Dr. Singer um, and just basically uh, give us a couple of resources uh, um, on sort of like how do you, how do how do we research uh, res- residency programs? Uh, what are some
2: resources out there? There's a number of ways you can uh, research um, residency programs. Um, the the AAMC has a, has, a, um, has a site with a with database and listing of different programs um, you can look at. Um, the AAFP has a, has a guide um, for student applicants to, to look through um, as well. Um, you should also be going through your medical schools uh, they that your graduate um, education offices um, should um, have have databases for you there as well. There's also good old Google searching, which is something I did um, a lot of um, when it came to researching residency programs, especially in the regions that I that I was interested in. Uh, there's th- another really helpful source is called FREDA, that's hosted by the AMA. It gives uh, a listing of several residency programs um, in the country. It talks about complex minimums, average GPAs, et cetera, size of residency programs, uh, if, if graduates have degrees. Another really helpful one, the AAMC had a, has a document called the, uh, the Law of Diminishing Returns. It, it tells you the, the statistics uh, for each specialty that you're applying to and uh, how many applications you should, you should be sending out for residency. Uh, there's this theory that if you send some statistical analysis that if you send out too many applications, you're, you might be less likely to receive um, interviews. Something that's beyond my understanding, but it, I, I found that very fascinating. So th- there's a lot of resources at your fingertips. Um, take, take advantage of them. Definitely, this is a big decision for you. So uh, in- investigate thoroughly.
1: Great, thank you for that. Um, so, you know, I, I'm going through this process, so I, I'm looking over almost 600 programs out there. So, um, you know, Athena, I'm going to go uh, direct this question to you. With so many programs to choose from, how how do you narrow down and just sort of like apply in and, and decide which one to interview at?
3: So, I think that question is really personal for each person. Um, to kind of weigh what's most important to them for residency. Um, For me, it was kind of location and then as well as fit with the residents and the specific program. For other people, um, it may be the opportunities for fellowship afterwards or the opportunities for research. So what I would encourage you to do and any other student that's applying right now is kind of look at um, what you want to gain from your residency and and what your goals would be for those couple of years. If you're going into family medicine, um, what are your goals for the next three years? And then what are your goals for after that? There's research out there that shows that many um, graduates end up staying within a certain radius of where they train for their residency after residency as well. And so consider where you want to be after your training um, and where you'd like to start your practice after residency. For me, um, I only applied to programs within Oklahoma because I was interested in staying in Oklahoma due to family. So that narrowed me down to, I think we had 13 or 14 family medicine programs in my state. And then further from there, I thought, well, The application process gives you 10 applications to programs for um, the same flat rate cost. And then each additional program is an additional cost for you to apply. Um, At least it was two years ago when I went through the process. And so when I was a student in ACOFP, one of the lectures that we received was um, apply to 11 programs, which kind of goes back to that um, law of diminishing returns that Ian mentioned. And so that kind of narrowed down my choice for me. For each person, it's going to be different. Um, If you're interested in further specializing after residency, you'll likely end up applying to more programs. Um, If you're interested in doing any sort of like a dual or um, fellowship, that would likely increase the number of programs that you apply to um, just based on your own interests.
1: Great, awesome. Um, Hey Jordan, uh, do you have anything to add um, just uh, from that topic of choosing a residency, um, anything from your
0: personal experience? So it's definitely a uh, personal decision. It's less about trying to get in any, well partially trying to get in somewhere, but really trying to determine where you want to see yourself in the next couple of years. questions about what kind of family life you want, uh, just location you want to live in. So I would say there's a lot more personal questions to ask yourself about what you want your life to look at, in addition to what kind of training you want. But mostly the question about where to go is largely a personal one
1: got it thank you um so i'm going to continue off with you uh and we're going to go right into our next topic of um different acronyms um so we have the uh, first one was eras uh you know i didn't know anything about it until i started uh submitting my letter of recommendation so uh what is eras and um i guess do all residency programs use this platform
0: so uh eras, ERAS uh, i've heard it a million different ways Um, stands for the Electronic Residency Application Service. It's the service that I would say the vast majority of residencies use. Um, A couple of different ones uh, include the San Francisco match, which is for uh, neurological surgery, um, ophthalmology, and uh, they coordinate plastics as well. Uh, In addition to that, there is the urology match for those interested in urology. And then sort of outside of specialty specific matches, there's the military match, of course, for military residencies and obviously open majority of time to military applicants, but there's a couple who take civilian applicants. Um, But the grand majority, pretty much the service that everyone is more or less going to use um, is is ERAS-ERAS.
1: Okay, so the next uh, question is, I will direct this to you, Ian, Uh, what makes a a strong um, ARIES application, like how, what are some criteria do you think that uh, makes a candidate, um, a strong candidate?
2: Sure, so right now I'm in my finishing my second year of residency, so this is actually my second year that I've been taking part in evaluating resident applications um, to my program so so things that I look for, uh, first and foremost as a family medicine resident, I, I, want the, I want to see that the applicant is genuinely interested in the field of family medicine. They, they've shown a, uh, a pattern through their medical school career of, of interest in family medicine, whether that's through membership and involvement with the ACOFP, the AAFP, their state family physician society. Um, that, that's very important to me. That Family medicine is a very intensive um, field that requires a lot of passion, in addition to our, uh, our broad medical knowledge, we must have good bedside manner and really care about um, compassionate uh, healthcare delivery. So to me, that, that's first and foremost. For me uh, as well, I don't look at grades or board scores that the program directors do that. Um, so what I look for next is uh, I, I go to, usually when I review an application, I go to the letters of recommendation next. So I will look to see who wrote the letters of recommendation for, for the applicant. Um, was it, was it a, uh, somebody who's involved in academic medicine who works with residents often? Have mean, works with medical students often? Is it somebody who also works with residents? Um, I, I look to see if the letter looks like it was personalized or if it was some boilerplate letter of, rec- letter of recommendation where it looks like they plugged and chugged, just put the person's name in there, said this person is a good candidate. For for your residency program. Lastly, I do actually I, I will sit and read through the uh, through the personal statements um, in the ERAS application. Uh, this is the time where where an applicant can really show who he or she is, what they're all about, what what their motivation was to go into medicine, what their motivation was to go into family medicine specifically. I look for um, interesting stories, unique stories. Somebody who um, has experienced different things who bring some interesting life perspective um personal history to to the program and um at that point i I form a view in my head before i go ahead and um and interview the applicant so so really those things that i alluded to are are what typically catch my eye um, when when i'm uh, reviewing eris applications for a family medicine residency
1: Great, thank you so much for that, that, that was very helpful. Um, so Athena, I'll, I'll direct this question to you. Um, if an applicant has a, a red flag, uh, like a failed board score or uh, a failed course, um, uh, how do you recommend to sort of like addressing that in uh, the ARIS uh, application?
3: Yeah. So I think that um, every applicant is going to have an area of their application that they feel like is not as strong as the other areas. And I think when we talk about red flags, um, that means something different to every person. So a red flag could be something as drastic as a failed board score, but it could also be that you made straight A's in med school and you've got one B or you've got one C. Um, To that person, that's the area of their application that's the most efficient Um, It could be that you didn't do any research or um, weren't as involved in extracurriculars. So I think when it comes to addressing those, both in your interview and your application, um, I think the application will kind of speak for itself in your transcript or um, when you submit your, uh, is it your MBOME transcript? And so it's more gonna come up in your actual interviews. So what I would do is in your interview be prepared to respond to questions about those deficiencies, whether it's a board score or a grade, but also be prepared to address them and take control of the narrative if it doesn't come up in your interview. And what I mean by that is um, you may get to the end of your interview and your interviewer asks you, do you have any questions for us or, or is there anything else that I can answer? And there's two different ways that you can go about that. You can say, um, are there any areas of my application that you had concerns about or um, raise red flags for you that I can address at this time? Or you can say, there is an area of my application that I would like to further address if you have a few minutes or if you have a few moments. Um, and then take control of What area you feel you were deficient in, why you feel like you were deficient in that area, um, and what you learned from that experience. And I think taking control of the narrative for whatever that deficiency could be prevents your interviewer from kind of guessing about what might have happened and creating their own story in their head as to what may have gone wrong for you. Um, so, keeping all of those things in mind, I think would be most beneficial as far as your actual application goes. Um, if it's something that was major or drastic, let's say that you failed your boards multiple times, um, and let's say that you were you missed a year of med school or or completed med school in an additional year because of a, a medical um, reason, I would address something that severe or or that. Um, large in your actual application either in your personal statement or in another area of the application just to make sure that a program doesn't look at that one area and say we're not going to interview this person because of that it kind of gives you the opportunity to address it beforehand
1: thank you for that um jordan um the next question is uh what is what is Visa? Um you know I, i'm going through this uh, and i'm playing submitting application and and you know i i'm I'm trying to uh, make sense of' uh, 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 application and the rotation and audition rotation. So um can you just explain a little bit about VSAS and and maybe just touch on uh, how many audition rotation we should we apply to and um, and different advice that you would provide for uh, students who are going through this process?
0: So while, I didn't use vsAS myself, um so take, all of this is more superficial information. So obviously VSAS is the uh, Visiting Student Application Service, it's the application of uh, the VLSO or VSLO, the Visiting Student Learning Opportunities, basically how you go about applying for audition rotations in a fairly standardized way. Now I wanna add a caveat that this isn't the only method of Getting an audition rotation. Some uh, residencies, hospitals don't even use it at all. Um, and they're a little more, in a sense, informal uh, and would rather that you just reach out to their GME coordinator and work out um, a rotation that way. But for a large, a lot of the larger uh, academic institutions, they'll, they'll tend to use uh, VSAS. Um, In terms of how many that's again kind of a a more personal question. I think the best use of an audition rotation is exactly that to audition at a a residency that you want to go to Um, alternatively some people might use it just to rotate at a a bigger place that you may not um, get to rotate in medical school. Um, I will say from the side of interviewing applicants. I like applicants that I've seen before, that I've talked to, that I know what their work ethic is, um, or uh, conversely, what their work ethic isn't. Um, So I definitely would recommend people pursue them. They're not for everybody um, and they do have their costs, um, but how many you decide to go with ultimately just really depends on kind of how wide of a net you want to cast for residency or you know what you just want to learn on your own
1: yeah thank you for that um does anybody have any experience uh, with uh, visas um, or applying uh, via visas that want uh want to chime in by any chance
2: yes so so i applied to some programs um through VSAS. uh it's one of those standardized websites that you go into a lot of programs make themselves available to um, auditioning students um, through. Uh, so for example, there was a, a few programs that I applied to that were in Uh The applications can vary um, for each for each program. I remember some may have asked for a small personal statement, others asked a resume, others asked for my complex level one score, it's essentially, it's a mini application process to apply um, through, to to apply to get audition rotations. Um, Like Jordan said though, it's not the only way to get auditions. He was able to do so outside of VSAS. I was able to as well. Um, And some programs don't, as far as I know, do not participate in the VSAS. So if there's a program you're interested in and you don't see them on the website for VSAS, go to that program's website, try to um, see if there's a contact information, if there's email, send an email to the program coordinator. If if need be, pick up the phone and call. You obviously don't want to be too much of a nuisance. People are busy, Um, but certainly if there's a program that you're interested in, reach out. Um, I I was able to to obtain a couple of uh, auditions through direct contact to programs that were not in in VCS.
1: Yeah, thank you for both of you for, for those answers because um, you know I'm applying right now um, at this time and, and I'm only directly applying to residency program. I haven't touched uh, visas at all uh, currently, but um, it's good to know that these, there's these resources out there and, and visa and different application process um, to go through. Um, so Ian, um, I'll just continue with you. Um, what is uh, NRMP? Uh, can you uh, just tell us a little bit about, about that?
2: So two words, the match. So NRMP uh, stands for National Resident uh, Matching Program. So this is this is the uh, the last leg of the race. Um, the, the NRMP, the match is is the, the is the standardized manner in which programs and applicants rank one another, um, and eventually through Match Day, applicants rank and match into residency programs. So it, it, it's, 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 it's a computer-based system. Um, let's say you were applying to, you interviewed at 10 programs, you decided you really liked seven of them and you are going to rank seven of them. So when the day comes to submit your rank order list, ROL, I believe this is one of the nicknames for it, you list the order of programs um through the NrMP um, website that you are interested in uh, in matching with with your first rank number one, the program you want to be with the most. In turn, the residency programs will rank applicants. Um, it could be ten applicants they'll rank. It they could be ranking hundred applicants. They residency programs will rank the applicants in the order that they like the applicants. So let's say you are, Applying to program A and you you really want them you rank them number one on their list. Um, they the program program A is accepting five uh, new members of their class. If you rank them number one because they're your favorite choice and they rank you in their top five, you will match to that program. Um, it, it's it's I think they describe it as like a snaking match um, there, there are videos on YouTube that explain it much more eloquently than me um, but that that's the NRMP it, It's the standardized system through which you match into programs. Now there are people who don't match into programs through this through the regular NRMP match and still through the NRMP system they can apply um, they, through, through the soap it's the, uh, the supplemental um, offer, Uh, acceptance program. And that I kind of um, analogize that to to essentially free agency in sports. Um, You weren't signed, you weren't drafted by a team um, through the match, but you can then, you'll get access to a list of programs that didn't fill their class. And you can apply directly to those programs that still have openings. And then you can match that way still being part of the NRMP match so it's it's complicated um, but that, that's pretty much it in a nutshell um, I, I again as with anything I encourage any anybody uh, who's going who's going to be going through the match in the next year to, to definitely look it up and, and read about how the algorithm the match algorithm works through the computer system it's pretty interesting it's stressful but um, yeah I encourage you definitely to, to look into that
0: The uh, one thing I wanted to add on to that um, is, depending on how old the resource you're using is, even some uh, web pages of of major uh, organizations are still not quite up to date, Uh, you may come across uh, some terminology, the AOA match or the osteopathic match, Um, it was a, a match for DOs exclusively that used to exist but was gradually phased out over the last uh, five years with it, the last of it being um, 2019 match. Uh, as of 2020, it's no longer used. So the only matching service that we use now is the NRMP combined ACGME match. So if you do see AOA or osteopathic match, it's just something we don't use anymore. Thank you for that clarification. I think
1: that's helpful because, um, you know, uh, more acronyms. Um, but uh, Athena, um, how much do you recommend students, um, you know, try to budget uh, applying to and sort of interviewing for residency? Um, that's always something that we're we're, we're always uh, struggling with um, as as medical students. So,
3: so I think when it comes to budgeting, I I did not do a great job at that um, and didn't really pre-plan for it. Going into my fourth year of medical school, um, I requested an additional $5,000 of financial aid for that academic year, knowing I wasn't taking out the full amount that I could each year prior to that. And the reason that I chose $5,000 was because I was interested at the time in doing a month um, audition rotation at a program out of state that I would have had to um, have all of the expenses for my travel and then for my housing and stay while I was there. Um, so it wasn't so much that I was concerned about the actual application itself, it wasn't that I was concerned about paying my ERAS fee or my fees to the MBOME. it was more so that I was factoring in that I was interested in traveling um, for my application season. And so I think students that are interested in doing that may want to sit down and really calculate costs a little bit more closely, but for students that are interested in um, like local auditions or Um, Planning on virtual interviews, which is difficult to know ahead of time, but planning on interviews that they could either drive to and not have to spend lots on lodging and travel for, um, it likely won't add up to um, thousands of dollars. I think in total, given that I didn't travel out of state, I probably spent um, just under a thousand dollars on all of my um, applications and interviews. Um, So that said, to kind of break it down, the NRMP itself requires um, $85 to register for up to 20 programs, and then um, there's an additional cost to rank um, any program above that. When I went through, I think that it was 10 programs um, through ERAS, and that requires a, a $99 um, fee for you to submit your actual ERAS application to those programs. Um, so, again, it it's worth that additional cost, but there, if you're considering, oh, I think I only want to apply to five programs, it's not going to hurt you financially to go ahead and find another five programs that kind of fit the type of program that you're looking for and cast your net to those programs as well, because you won't be paying any additional fee for that. Um, VSAS and VSlow has a fee associated with it, but not everybody will be using that. And then also use your, um, actual medical school as a resource to talk about um, if they cover any of those fees because some schools do and some schools don't.
1: Great, thank you. Um, So um, moving on to the next session, uh, we're going to talk about virtual interviewing. Um, And I guess everyone's just sort of like uh, chime in for this. Um, uh, How how did virtual interviewing sort of differ from in-person interviewing uh, for you guys? guys uh, from, uh, I don't know if uh, you had the personal experience of uh, virtual interviewing or have the personal experience of interviewing applicants uh, virtually. Um, can you guys uh, speak a little bit more to that?
0: So I interviewed in person for all my interviews back uh, early 20. Actually, really, it's uh, early 2020. Um, but then on the flip side, I've done all the interviewing um, uh, virtually. So from uh in-person kind of standpoint, the one thing you miss out on uh, when you virtually interview is obviously being there, seeing the facility, seeing the people, seeing the atmo- or feeling the atmosphere. Um, but on the flip side, one of the things I like and actually our program really enjoys about virtual interviewing is one, um, it gives us a lot more individual time per applicant. It gives uh, We split it up where I think they get an hour with uh, 30 minutes with, with each of our program directors and then 30 minutes with residents and with the uh, residents it's just more about getting to know us, us getting to know them. Um, they can ask, any question they want about the program. So while they miss out on seeing the program and being there in person and kind of getting the wine and dine experience, I think they do benefit from one-on-one questions. Uh, and especially when you're trying to determine like house housing and the little questions that might get buried in a large group, that's more beneficial. So kind of, there are a lot of pros and there's some cons. I think moving forward, our program wants to hold on to virtual interviewing as long as possible. But with uh, the way, uh, with hopefully eventually moving past COVID, you know, kind of who knows what the future uh, has in store. I think
3: our program kind of did. Um all virtual official interviews this year. Um, But one of the things that was a little bit different for us is the students that came out and rotated with us and auditioned with us, that really served as more of an interview than even their virtual interviews so they still came out and they did their virtual interview. But it was really nice to have them get to rotate through like our resident clinic. They spent a week um, just work working with each and every one of us that's in the program. So at that point, by the time that we got to virtual interviews, everybody was like, "Oh, I know Athena. I've worked with her," um, and that speaks louder than how you respond to a question in an interview. I feel like, um, but we still did offer that to um, our auditioners for the students that were out of state. The thing that I think you miss out on or lack is kind of how well you gel and mesh with the residents and the program. And for me, that was one of the biggest deciding factors for where I wanted to go to residency. I knew that wherever I went, I could Kind of make my experience what I wanted to make of it as far as educational wise, you can dedicate as much time to your education. But if you end up at a program where you just don't fit in with the people or you don't mesh with the environment, it makes for a very difficult three years of residency. So um, I would take it upon yourself if a program doesn't offer um, in person interviews or you don't have an opportunity to rotate with a program that you are very seriously considering to try to reach out potentially to some of the residents or to the Program and say, hey, I can't come out and do a full audition, but if you, it's somewhat local, maybe you can go spend a couple of days with them um, if that fits into your schedule, or maybe you can talk about contacting some of their residents and asking questions about the culture of the program and the residency.
1: Awesome. Um, you know, I'm just gonna uh, stick with you. Uh, so, what do you what do you think are some key things to sort of determine uh, what it? What what is it for students and also uh, applicants versus a residency program? What are, what are some things that, um, you know, some key questions to ask or just to figure out uh, how this program is a good fit for me?
3: I think when you're looking at fit of a program, one, just like I mentioned, how well do you get along with who will become your co-residents, as well as how well do you fit with your potential faculty. Um, so if you have a chance to rotate with them and work with several different faculty members, I'd encourage that. But also, I found that with some of our auditioners that come out and work with us, they'll say, I spent my first day in clinic with Dr. C. It was great. I learned so much. So every day that I come back, I'm going to work with Dr. C because I know that we get along great. And I feel like that's kind of hurting yourself in a way because you're missing out on opportunities to work with other people. It's hurting you because you don't get the opportunity to interact with them and see what they're like, but it's also hurting the program because they don't get to see what you're like in different environments and working with um, others. So definitely ask questions about um, fit, faculty, residents as well, but also ask questions about things that you're passionate about. So if you're interested in research, ask what research opportunities exist. Some programs may say we don't currently have any residents that do research, but here's how we would accommodate that. Um, in my case, one of the things that I'm passionate about is women's health. And in Oklahoma, there aren't any programs that have women's health fellowships um, or OB fellowships after Um, A family medicine program, and so I was looking at how OB friendly the residency programs in the areas I was interested in were, and. Uh, my program really has no residents who have done women's health in the past. But one of the things that stood out to me was they said, well, you know, we don't have anybody that's interested in doing that. We haven't had anybody that came out here that wanted to do that. But here, let us set you up with a rotation with our head of the OB department. And let us tell you how we're going to accommodate you doing women's health while you're in residency. And thus far, that's all kind of come true for me as a resident. So I think asking those questions um, is really helpful. And then Just to add one more thing, from my perspective, um, I had questions that were program specific for each interview that I went into, but I also had three questions that stayed the same in every single interview. And I kept a little journal after all of my interviews of pros and cons for that program. And at the bottom of that list, I always put, Um, here's how supportive this program is going to be of me being involved in leadership with ACOFP. Here's how this program is going to support me doing women's health and listed my three questions. And then I could objectively compare the answers to each of those programs after my interview season.
1: I really like that. (laughs) So, uh, Jordan, um, uh, direct this question to you, uh, what are some, uh, sort of do you, um, at, on the other side, look for in uh, when interviewing at a, at a residency program?
0: So before I answer that question, I wanted to add one more thing. This is a question that I asked a lot on my residency interviewing trail. It's actually a question I picked up on the trail, um, but I figure it's good enough to share here. Uh, the question is, and I think everyone should ask, is um, ask what the turnover rate is like in the sort of support staff at the hospital, nurses, anybody, because while it's not a perfect measure, if there's a lot of turnover, then there, you need to ask the question why. You know, is this a, a place where the culture is just not great and people are leaving because of that, or is maybe it's something else, like the area is a little harder to sell, um, but uh, sort of. Questions that ask around what you're looking for can be pretty elucidating. Now, in terms of the question you asked me about red flags, um, I guess a couple of things. So uh, Ian was saying an applicant really demonstrating that they want to be a family doctor. Uh, I think there's the large, maybe not large, but a plurality of people that think that family medicine is just something you fall back into um but it shouldn't be it's a a specialty that requires a large breadth of knowledge um but also the ability to handle well a just interpersonal issues but then social issues costs of care um like how your patient's able to get to their appointments is various things that don't necessarily come up in some of the other specialties because it just doesn't come up that often um so one demonstrating that you want to be a family doctor, you understand what it means um, and that you've given it a little thought about where you wanna see yourself in five, 10 years, what your practice looks like. Um, if you don't just kind of show those things, it's pretty easy, especially like, you know, if your application is, is built for dermatology and yet you're applying to family medicine, the question is, oh, why did you decide late last minute? You know, maybe I wanted to be a family doctor and that's fine. Um, or is this a fallback? So that's number one. Number two, I kind of touched on earlier is when we meet you in person, like for an audition rotation, that can really sink or 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 elevate you. Um, so if there's somebody applying to my program that's rotated with us that just didn't Perform at the level that we expect, that can hurt. Um, and then I think the last major sort of red flag is intentionally avoiding dancing around red flags, not like board scores or anything like that. Like everyone has a bad day, it's the test in the end. But things like criminal convictions, uh, drug issues, I mean, those things can be worked past. They are not by any means hard stops. But if you try to hide them, um, it makes us wonder what else you're hiding and you know how, how honest of a physician you can be moving on. So while there aren't that many major red flags, I think the biggest ones are just not really wanting to do the specialty, hiding sort of uh, big, big red flags. And then lastly, um, just if you are rotating had that program not performing as well as you should
1: have. Thank you for listening to the first part of All the Places You'll Go. Hopefully, you picked up some good tips and are excited for part two. Coming soon.
0: The ACOFP Student Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Looking for more resources on a home tea. Visit ACOFP's OM Teaching at www.acofpoMteaching.com and ask your institution if they subscribe so you can have access to over 150 OMT videos and support materials.